42nd chapter. This is not the book of Job. There's no work really involved here. It's not, it's not work involved. It's a man's name. And uh, the thought or the theme this morning would be uh, the, the three daughters of Job. You can put your own subtitle to that. But as many of you know, this is an incredible book of the Bible. And those of you that have been with me for several years, you know exactly what I am going to say. Uh, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody Committed murder, spent 40 years of the next of his life in the wilderness realizing he was a nobody, and then spent the last 40 years of his life realizing that God could take a nobody and make a somebody out of him. In that, in that season when Moses was hiding from Pharaoh, and that was a, a tough season, but in that season God gave Moses a beautiful wife, two handsome sons, and a father-in-law that cared about him. Somewhere in that 40 years it is believed that Moses was introduced to Job, either met him personally or God inspired the story of Job. But if you have a chronological Bible, you will notice that Job is the very first book of the Bible. It was written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It was either written by Moses or written by Abraham or Isaac or maybe, maybe it was written by Job. But it's a story of a man that did not have a church, did not have a Bible, did not have a pastor, did not have Christian television, but yet, as you look and reflect in his life, he'll make statements like, I know my Redeemer liveth, and though skin worms shall destroy my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He made statements like, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Naked I came to this world, naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Job, somewhere around the 29th chapter, he begins to share all the blessings he had before this attack came against him. And I think the 30th verse talks about all the negative in his life. So you see good times in his life, bad times in his life. Somewhere around the age of 70, this story has its precedence, or, or we find the story beginning. And we find the story beginning not necessarily with Job and his wife, but with God. There is a place in the heavenlies, somewhere in the second heavenlies, that principalities and powers, angelic realms, rule and occupy. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So we know the battle that we fight, the battle that takes place, is in the heavenlies. It's not in heaven. Satan has been kicked from heaven and will never be able to return there. But there is a place where angelic beings meet, and on one of these meetings, and that kind of... Uh, shares with me that perhaps there are other universes, there are other creative lives somewhere. I mean, for us to think that we are the only ones in this great, great, great big universe. But God asked Satan, where has he been? And Satan says, I've been walking upon the face of the earth, walking to and fro. And God asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He walks in integrity. He's awesome. He's a worshiper. He's a praiser. And Satan said, yeah, I've observed you. Matter of fact, I don't like him. Don't ever think the devil likes you. And don't ever think that you can compromise with the devil. Don't ever think that you can win that battle. Some of the greatest of God's champions have been in the boxing ring with the devil, and they have been defeated. Satan told God, said, I don't like him. I don't like anything about him. I like to really mess him up. I like to go down there and hurt him. I like to just, just do bad stuff to him. But you have a hedge built all the way around you. And know that the shepherd, the great shepherd, has a hedge built around your life. The shepherd of your soul has a hedge built around your life. But you'll find even though there are hedges and even though there's faithfulness and even though there's things that we do in the kingdom, bad things happen to good people. It was the Old Testament point of view that if something bad happened to you, then you had failed, you had disobeyed, something was wrong in your life. But that's not what God's Word says. The God's Word says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, righteous, but the Lord shall deliver them from them all. What? All of the afflictions of the righteous. The Word declares, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So there are seasons in your life where you're going to see good times, seasons in your life where you're going to see bad times. I think somewhere in 1968, Led Zeppelin said it so well. Good times, bad times, you know I've had my share. How many can relate? How many can relate that maybe we had more bad times than good times? We kind of like to have some good times. Anybody in, in the building there? And so as, as Satan begins to accuse Job before God, uh, he said, you got a hedge around him. I can't touch him. 
But I promise you, if you remove that hedge, I promise you, he will curse you and he will sin and there'll be iniquity found in his heart. And so God said, you know what? Go ahead and do what you want, but don't touch his life and don't touch his wife. Don't touch his life and don't touch his wife. And so as this, this test is taking place, again, you've got to realize Job has no idea there's a Satan. He has no idea there's a fall. He has no idea there is sin, iniquity in the world. He has no idea that he is under attack because he's doing the right thing. How many on a job or in a marriage or in a relationship, you felt like you were attacked because you were doing the right thing? Uh, if, you don't, if you don't think that tax going to take place, you need to go to the country of Iraq where over 20,000 have already been assassinated for their testimony. 20,000 more are dying of starvation and dying of water. And I don't, God didn't call America to be the great cop of the world, but God did call America to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and take care of the widow and orphan. Should we be doing more? Absolutely. Why aren't we? I personally believe that our government has an agenda that has nothing to do with our agenda. I think our government desires to bankrupt our country so they can become a part of the one world money system, which the Bible prophesies 10 nations are joined together. I think our government wants to be a part of the European market. I think our government wants to tell us what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and where to do it, a lot like communism. Do I have a friend in the house? It is what it is. The Bible, can we pray for our leaders? Absolutely. Probably shouldn't pray that God would kill them. Probably would pray that God would visit them and rock their world. Is that, is that okay? And that God would build a hedge around our borders. I mean, we, we really are. We really are in trouble. This is, not, this is not all about that. But this is about the fact that bad times come upon good people. Bad things happen to people. While, while Job is in his house, we were told that a servant runs to him and tells him that all of his oxen have been lost, and he alone was spared. Say that with me. He alone, he alone. was spared. Now say, that's one. that's one. And then while Job is in his house trying to contemplate the fact that he's lost all of his oxen, another servant runs in and says there was lightning, and the lightning hit all the sheep, and all the sheep died, and all the workers died, and I alone was spared. Look at somebody and say, that's attack number two. Attack number two. But, but life spared number two. Life spirit number two. And then as they're visiting, as they're talking, as they're trying to contemplate what's, take, what's going on, what's taking place, another servant comes and says, hey, you're not going to believe this, but there was a band of, of militants came and they carried off all your camels. They killed all your servants and I alone am, am left. Look at someone and say, I alone, I alone. are left. It, I said, probably is left. I alone is left. I alone are, I alone am left. Okay. We'll let you preach this sermon. I, I alone am left. Now, what's the next point? Do you know what the next point? Oh, I'm sorry. You don't know what the next point is. Okay, and so while he's trying to take all this in, he's lost all of his oxen. He's lost all of his sheep. He's lost all of his camels. I'll tell you why those are important. He has 10 kids. He has seven sons and three daughters. And every month of their birthday, the sons and daughters would all gather for a birthday party. Job was concerned that maybe they would drink a little bit too much wine that maybe they would do something out of order. So every time they had a party, Job had an offering that he sacrificed to the Lord, and he stood in the gap for his sons and his daughters that God would spare them, and no judgment would come upon them because of their iniquity. Got to remember, they didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have Benny Hinn. There was, no, there was, no, there was absolutely no church, no Bibles, no books, no, no pastor, no counseling whatsoever. And so Job was believing for God to intervene. While they're all having a party, uh, the Bible says a great wind, a servant came running to Job and says, a great wind has carried off all your children and they're all dead and I'm the only one that lived. Say with me, I'm the only one that lived. So now, notice if you will, Job has four that did not die, four that were not destroyed. A few days later, a few months later, we're not sure. There was another meeting in the sky. God sat down with some of his angels. Satan shows up. And God kind of rubs it in Satan's nose and says, hey, have you considered my servant Job that he walks in integrity? He's faithful. He's a praiser. He's a worshiper. And even though I've let you touch him and, and try to hurt him, he still praises me. And, and Satan said, yes, but flesh for flesh, I'm telling you, let me, let me, let me touch him physically. Let me, let me get inside his head. Let me bring a sickness upon him that will touch him in such a way, I promise you he will curse you, and I promise you you'll find iniquity in his heart. So God said, okay. You can, you can touch him, but don't kill him. Touch him, but don't kill him. 
Then all of a sudden, Job finds himself in this place where he has this horrible disease. Some say it's elephantitis, but the, the wounds are open. They're bleeding. They're oozing. He's taking broken pieces of clay. He's scraping the wound. He's trying to deal with the edge. He's got a disease that he's probably going to die of. I found five attacks that came upon Job. I found, first of all, his oxen were taken. And oxen represents the ability to plow. He lost the ability to sow. He lost the ability to harvest. He lost the ability to work. There's nothing more frustrating than losing a job that you've been there a long time. There's nothing more frustrating than somebody nudge you out because they want somebody younger or they want a relative or a friend. There's, there's nothing worse, as far as my, my opinion is, is to look and look and look for a job and try to draw unemployment and try to make ends meet. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I, but I remember there was a season as a carpenter, uh, things were not very good and nobody was working. And I think I was collecting $36 a week and they paid me every two weeks. I got about $72. I'd go buy about $50 worth of marijuana and $22 worth of Butterfinger bars. And so for the next two weeks, I would smoke pot and live on Butterfingers. I know none of you can relate to that, but you get the munchies, you got to sell, sell it somehow. So many of us know what it's like to be in between jobs. We know what it's like not, not to have a job, but Job has lost his ability to generate finances. He lost all of his sheep. We know the sheep were used as sacrifice upon the altar because Job was a worshiper and a praiser. I'm telling you, if you're not careful, it is so easy to get out of the, the system or the ability of going to the house of God. It's easy. And it seems like the church has not really uh, made it uh, all that easy for us to stay committed. Uh, we no longer have Sunday night. We no longer have Friday night. We have a Bible study on, on Wednesday night that we bribe people to show up through world-famous ice cream and world-famous taco soup, and world-famous Beth Moore, and, and there, there is a remnant that will come. I didn't come here to comfort you today. I, my purpose is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. You might want to write that down and put it on Facebook. You probably won't see it anywhere else. I came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the, the, the comfort. I want to make you uncomfortable. I like to push you out of your comfort zone. I like to get you out of that nest and realize that you were born for a higher purpose. And there's a reason why Job goes through what he goes through. So he loses all of his oxen, he loses sheep, and he loses his camels. The camels had the ability to transport his goods to the market and to bring things from the market to his house. So now he's almost lost the ability to be on food stamps, any governmental assistance, any friend that could help him. He's lost that because he has no way to get it to him. Anybody ever, ever felt like they were all alone? I mean, you really, really felt like you were all alone. I received a real scary text yesterday from one of the, the, the daughters, Brenda Smith's daughter, that her best friend, Dakota, had overdosed, had tried to commit suicide. I don't know if you knew that, Brenda, or not, but had overdosed on pills and, uh, and her, her, her kidney shutting down. It does not look like she's going to survive unless there is a miracle. I really believe Dakota and Cody have been to our church several years ago for a John Jacobs a weightlifting thing. I'm pretty sure they've, they've been here. So we've been praying and checking on them every couple hours. But to, to, to get so distraught in life that things would be so bad that you, you would end your life. And obviously money was a song to say, I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Money is not always the answer to everybody's problems. When you look at Robin Williams and what a great, great, incredible, phenomenal talent, what ability no movie like Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, it had to be one of the best movies of all time and just showed the, the challenges of raising kids in a divorced home. And I don't, I don't know if there was anybody any more funny or Mork and Mindy. He never had any practice lines. They all came at the spontaneity. He was the king of spontaneity. He was probably the king of comedy. And we've not lost anybody that great since Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy. He really was, he really was phenomenal. Had it all. He literally had it all. Had three homes, had millions and millions. Of, a beautiful wife, a gorgeous wife, beautiful family. But just got to a place where he was overwhelmed by depression or, or, or just being alone or isolated. I know Miss California, when I started ministering 33 years ago, Miss California committed suicide and left a suicide note. And everybody pondered, why did, why did, why did she commit suicide? She had it all. She was going on to, to compete for Miss America. She had a beautiful life, a beautiful family. But in her, in her suicide note, she wrote, even though people think I'm popular and important, I am so alone, I'm so afraid, 
I'm going to take my life. Every day. Look at someone and say, every day. Every day. Almost 40,000 people commit suicide. 80% of those are through narcotics, an overdose of some sort. The other is either gun or strangulation related. We are a part of a nation that is so unhappy, that is so miserable, that is so frustrated, yet we have managed to tie into the things of God, and we get help in the time of trouble, and we find finances when, when God brings the finances. We trust him. We learn of him. But we so many times keep this self-included inside the four walls of our life or our church and don't get a chance to share and I think God wants the world to know how good he is. I think God, when that, I remember in the movie, God is dead. And I know Matt Decker would do this all the time. He would say, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Really, even when it's the worst of the worst, David said, I'm old, I've been young, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed out begging bread. What a statement. What a, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a thought or what a relationship that David would have with God that we too can have a relationship with God. So he lost his camels. Then he lost his children. He lost his ability to, apparently there were no grandchildren. He lost his ability to generate the family name. He's lost something very, very dear to him. Matter of fact, he will make a statement a little later in the book. He'll say, that which I feared the most has come upon me. And when you look at the life of Job, it mentions that every month he was concerned about his kids. Every month he did sacrifice of animals and worship God to make sure that God didn't strike them down or find them out of order. I think Job's greatest fear is that something would happen to his children. I remember several years ago we were interviewed by Charisma and they came to our house and they put our picture on the cover and they did about an eight or ten page, 20 some odd pictures of Pastor Ron tonight. I don't know if you knew that or not. We... Uh, it's just something that it happened. We don't, it wasn't really that big of a deal. We didn't get a chunk of money for it. It didn't make us famous or popular. Matter of fact, it probably made us more susceptible for attacks of the enemy. But I remember that the, the interviewer asked me, what is, what is the greatest fear that you have in your life? And I should have let Pastor Rhonda go first because I liked her answer a lot better than mine. What is the greatest fear in your life? I think Courtney was just young, 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 young. And so, and so I said, my greatest fear is that something would happen to my children on my watch, that something, something bad would happen, there'd be an accident, there'd be whatever. And so when the interviewer asked Pastor Rhonda what her greatest fear was, it was that my greatest fear is that I do not be what God wants me to be and minister how God wants me to minister and share the word of God and love people and walk in. I wish I'd have said that. <laughs> but that was not my greatest fear. My greatest fear was I was afraid something what happened to my child? Happened, and there's, 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 a, there's a nesting instinct there. We care about our children. We, 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 we will do whatever it takes to make it right in their life and to bless them. So the, so the things that he, that, he, that he loved the most, he's lost, he's lost four of them. And now he finds himself with the sickness and disease that could possibly kill him. Those are the five things that he came against. I don't know if you could count the sixth thing, which was some friends, so-called friends that came to where he was. And they saw his pain. And they saw his weeping and they saw his battle so intense that Jerry, for seven days and seven nights, they did not speak a word to him. They let him sit. They let him know that they were there. They were at a distance. They were, they were, hopefully they were praying for him. Hopefully they were interceding for him. And then Job opens up, I think, in Job 3 and says something about being cursed. He, he didn't like the fact that he was born because man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. And then these friends begin to inter, interject and they begin to, one felt like, Job, you have sin in your life. That's why God is doing this. And that's not why bad things happen to good people. One thought, Job, you've got pride in your life. And that's why you're going through this. And one said, you know, Job, this is just the way God rolls. He's good to... He's good to people. He's bad to people. It's just the way it rolls. Well, really, it wasn't any of these reasons that Job was going through attack. The reason he was going through attack is because God had bragged on him, and God had mentioned to Satan how incredible, how wonderful he was. And because of his stability and because of his walk and relationship with the Lord, Satan came against him. Does that help anybody in the building? I mean, is that... My Lord, you, when you realize why you're constantly going through, it's like one battle after one battle after one battle. There doesn't seem to be any peace, any pause. You get the job, they change the hours, the truck breaks down. You lose the job, the truck 
somebody steals a truck and runs over, runs into something because it's your insurance. You got to anybody relate to any of that? Any of that? It just seems like that there's a there's a list. A lot of people have a bucket list of things they wish didn't happen to them and things they weren't involved. Anybody got that kind of bucket list? But as you look at the end of the story and as we look at the end of the story, we're going to learn that Job uh, is restored twice of everything he lost. First of all, he restored twice in his age. He lived 70 when the storm came. The Bible says he lived another 140 years. So God doubled his life. The Bible says that God doubled his camels, God doubled his oxen, and God doubled his sheep. But when I look at the, the life of Job, this battle that he went through was probably about nine months or a year. This all took place where he was sick, going to die, all these bad things happening. When he went to rebuild, he rebuilt with what God had left him. And God had left him three things, a wife, a life, and four servants. Don't ever disqualify the servants in your life. Don't ever disqualify the people in your life that God has put there in your life that's going to see you through thick and thin. They're going to see you through every storm, every battle. They're not going to abandon you. They're not going to flee. And there's something in the New Testament. I want to, you don't have to go there and look at it, but I want to show you something in the New Testament. We know that with the exception of one, Every single disciple lost their life, including Judas. Some were beheaded, some were set on fire, some were stabbed with spears, some were tortured, some were crucified. Every single disciple, with the exception of John, died, died 30, 35, 40 years of age. They were, died, they were murdered for their testimony. But John, we know, was boiled in oil, didn't kill him, freaked everybody out. They let him live on an island and he died of old age. Do you, know, do you know why John died of old age? Why I believe John died of old age? In the generation of the prodigal son, in the generation of Jesus, it was responsibility of the oldest son to take care of mom. That was a lifestyle where the women always outlived the men and the men would die. And so when the dad died, a double portion was given to the oldest son to take care of mom. Jesus could not go to heaven and do what he needed to do and leave mom unattended to. So when Jesus began to walk through the beating and to drag the cross and nail the cross, John was right there at the side of his mother and Mary, never left the side of Mary. And right before Jesus died, he looks at John and he says, son, behold your mother. He looks at Mary and says, Mary, Mary, behold your son. And he transfers his responsibility of taking care of mom to John and then he dies. And how cool it is that John outlives everybody else. Why? Because he had to take care of the mother of Jesus. How cool is that? Mark the Johns in your life. Mark the people in your life that walk, walk you through thick and thin. Mark those that aren't just there when you're on top of the world and doing national television. Mark the ones that when you're in the bottom contemplating suicide and ready to leave and walk off and just, hello. Anybody ever been there before where there have been good times, bad times? You know I've had my share. Mark the people in your life. And this sanctuary is full of Johns that have stood behind Hank and Ron and supported us through thick and thin. Our best days are ahead. We really believe that. Some doors have opened just the past couple days. Some phenomenal opportunities to minister and we're excited about that. You know what? Size never matters. Have I not proved that to you in three years? Size ought matter. We've run 500. We've run 300. We're at 70 or 80. But I try to preach like I'm preaching to 1,000. So size never matters. But the Lord has opened the door for me to go to three churches that run over 3,000. We're excited about that. Thank the Lord for that. But it's not about, it's not about that or tape sales because I don't think tape sell anymore. I think everything's online. It's free. But it's about getting the message out to as many people as possible. And I'll go to smaller churches, but I've watched God stay with me through the entire journey. I dealt with the spirit of suicide, sitting back to where he came from, hell. Hello. I surrounded myself with mentors and people that love me, and I surrounded myself with a church body that I was not afraid to let you know. Hey, I'm hurting. I'm wounded. I haven't drawn a check. Financially, we're in trouble. I've never, there was a season when pride, I wouldn't let any of that out. But when we walk together, we cast our care upon one another as he careth. For, does that help anybody? We are here to encourage one another. And again, I'm here this morning to make you uncomfortable, not to comfort you unless you're hurting. In this, in this walk that Job is walking at the end of this journey, Job is going to realize in Job 41 that there is a Satan. God begins to talk about Leviathan. Some Bible scholars believe that this was a hippopotamus. But when you look at the hippopotamus, the hippopotamus is bulky, lethargic, 
not very aggressive. Other Bible scholars believe that Leviathan was the crocodile. It very easily could have been the crocodile because you've got to believe if this book was written by Moses, then while Moses is hearing the story of Job, guess what's happening in Egypt? All the firstborn Hebrew children, male children, are thrown into the river and the crocodiles are eating them. So this very well could just be what, what God is revealing to Job at this time, that there is a force, a demonic force. He's the, children, he's the, he's the God over the children of pride. You, you don't make him a pet. You don't talk to him. You don't baby him. You expel him and get him as far away from you as possible. There have been many that have been trying to put a leash on Satan. There have many tried to pet Satan. There have many tried to say, well, I can do this and get away with this, and I can do this and get away with that. And I was setting a couple of days ago, and I rarely... Um, I really watch Christian television, just something that we don't do every once in a while. I'll watch Huckabee or I'll, I'll see something that, that I like and I'll watch, but very rare do I, I sit and watch. But Creflo Dollar was teaching, and I said, well, I'm just going to sit here and eat a burger and drink some tea and listen to him. And he was talking about grace. And at first I thought he was going to go to the area of you can do whatever you want because grace it, it will, will forgive you and restore you. It's a very, very popular teaching in a lot of churches today that you can, you can ask God to forgive you, and you'll be okay. I think the Roman Catholic Church sets that up. You go to confession, you're okay. But whatever you do during the week, you're, you're okay as long as you get to confession. Just hope the Lord doesn't come before Saturday Mass. Well, there, there you have it. The um, Cruffalo Dollar made the statement. He said, where, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. He said, you don't go and sin just so you can say, hey, I got more grace. Right? Shall we continue to sin? God forbid. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place there to walk. There's a place that God has for us. But God lets us know right off the bat, there is an enemy. There really is an enemy. And he hates your guts. He hates everything about you. He wants to destroy you. He see, he, there's absolutely no good in him. And when he's done with you, he just throws you in a trash can. He just, just, he just, just, he just he gets rid of you, has no use for you whatsoever. At the end of the story, as God shows Job, this Leviathan, Job makes a statement, I've heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And God tells Job, I want you to pray for your friends. When you pray for your friends, I'm going to turn your captivity around. And how crazy that Job starts praying for these three guys that really, they really didn't help him or encourage him. They were kind of condemning him and putting him down. But Job goes ahead and prays them. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. I've got an appointment this afternoon where I'm going to have to tell somebody to agree quickly with their adversary. Because if they don't, they're going to lose everything they've got. Sometimes you, sometimes you learn, you don't negotiate with the enemy, but you realize there's an enemy. And when you realize there's an enemy in your life, you realize you start looking where the enemy hangs out and you don't hang out there. You start learning what the enemy's doing. You don't do that. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of the sinner, nor sitteth the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters that brings forth fruit in season. His leaf also will not wither, and whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Why? Because he's ignored the, the snare of the enemy. He's ignored the satanic stronghold that's upon this earth, and he sees that God is in control, and God will turn it around. So, God, so Job prays for his friends. God doubles his oxen. God doubles his sheep. God doubles his camels. And then God gives him ten more children. So now Job's got 20 kids, 10 in heaven, 10 on earth. But something about, something about as you begin to look at the lineage, almost without exception, when it lists the genealogies of men, rarely ever does it mention the girls. That generation, the girls were not considered that important. That generation, the girls were simply a, a, a thing that the dad would later sell to a husband for a large dowry. And, and really, the, the woman didn't have the right to speak out in church. She didn't have the right to vote. There are a lot of things she didn't have a right to. She was subject to her husband. But for some reason, when Job had ten more kids, seven guys and three, and three daughters, the Bible says he gives his girls an inheritance just like the, the sons. So there was the first step of women's lib right there. I don't hear that taught, but there it was. God set them free and gave them an inheritance and restored what they'd been stolen from their dad to have a friend. And for, ironically, for some reason, uh, in, this, in the story of the 20 kids, we don't know any of their names except for three. And God chooses. Are you, are you there at Job? Are you at Job 42?
Let's see what happens here. Notice, if you will, 12 talks about how God doubles everything that he had. He had seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Kazia, and the name of the third Karen Habuch. What a stupid name. And in all the land, watch this, and in all, say that with me, in all, in all the land, there were no women found as fair as their daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons, his sons' sons, even for generations. So Job died being old and full of days, lived to be 210 years of age. I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to share with you because I've been hitting on this topic for almost six weeks. But I'm going to share with you what the names of the girls meant and the importance of the name. The first girl, it should be obvious, Jemima. Everybody should know that Aunt Jemima pancakes without the syrup is like the spring without the fall. There's only one thing worse this universe, and that's no Aunt Jemima at all. So a popular name, now, I've, never, I've never met a Jemima. Has anybody, does anybody know a Jemima? I don't know. Angel, do you know a Jemima? Oh, there you go. Is she like the spring without the fall? The word, and you know, you know how important it is that in the Old Testament, every child was named reflecting something. And when, when God's glory had departed from the temple, the, the mom had a son and named him Ichabod, which means God's glory has departed. I've never met an Ichabod either I don't, that, that I know of, and that's that TV series with that guy that came back from the, the Four Horsemen. Was he Ichabod? Was that his name? Okay, so there I know one. I know, there you have it. I know, because I know him. Now you know him. So we all know one Ichabod. But the reason that there were meanings gift to the names of the children, that identify what that dad and what that mom was going through. The first name, Jemima, means, you ready for this? It means dove. It means dove. It means precious or beautiful dove. Ironically, when you think of the dove, you think of certainly Noah's Ark. You think of the dove being released, did not come back. We don't see the dove again until the book of Job, and he names one of his daughters the dove. And then we see when Jesus was baptized by his cousin John, we see the, the dove in the, in the form. We see something in the form of a dove. But what was it? It was the Holy Spirit. And so what, here's what Job is saying. Regardless of the fact he didn't have a Pentecostal experience, never been to Perry Stone, never been to Rod Parsley, never been to John Hagee, had never... I, th that I know of prayed or spoken tongues, he knew what the Holy Spirit was all about. And he knew all about the comfort of the Holy Spirit because it was he who went through hell and went through tragedy and hurt and pain and suffering. In the movie God is Dead, most of you know the professor is a born-again Christian. He starred in several Christian movies. They've got some more coming out. But the pain of, of the professor was that when he was 12, his mom died. And he begged God to heal his mom. He said, I'll do anything if you let her live. And, 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 and she, did not, she did not live. She died. There are a lot of people that blame God for the bad in their not life, not realizing that God has given us the power of choice. And the people that we choose to hang with, that what we choose to eat, drink, sleep, where we choose to go, what we choose to be a part of, there, sometimes there are percussions from those decisions. There are certainly percussions from being a Christian. Right now, all over the world, Christians are being murdered. Thank God in America that we have the right to worship God the way that we worship him. Should we ever lose this, God forbid, I believe he'll take his presence from this nation, and then everybody will be in trouble. But Job said the first, his first girl, he named her Dove because of the Holy Spirit bringing comfort, bringing his presence and his protection into my life. Every one of you this morning are sealed with the seal, and you've got the presence of the Holy Spirit circling you and can pass around about you, protecting you, goes to the throne of God, talks to Jesus, talks to the Father as many times a day as he wants on your behalf. Does that excite anybody in the house? The other name, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise that, that we have that, that protection. The second name is Kazia, and if you don't have to go there, but in Exodus 30, and I, I, did, I did the math today, Technically, there are five ingredients mixed together that create a, let me say, 
let me say a potpourri. I know there are times when I will go out and I will get the, I'll get the coals almost white hot and then I'll take a bag of either mesquite or hickory or cherry wood and I soak it in water and get it good and wet, get it good and soaked. And when that fire is just as hot as it's going to get, I take that wet wood and I put it on those coals. And when I do that, all of a sudden, that the ambiance is filled with mesquite, or my favorite is probably mesquite, but, but hickory's good too. Here, all of a sudden, coming from that, coming from that fire is not the fire from the coals, but it's the fact that that wet potpourri begins to heat up, begins to set on fire, and it begins to create a, a, an ambience of its own. And God told them in the book of Exodus, 30th chapter, told them what to take. Take these four ingredients, mix it with oil, which is five. Take these five ingredients and put it upon an altar right when you go into the Holy of Holies so that your garments are filled with this fragrance. And God said, don't use this fragrance for anything. If you use it for your own personal good, I'll strike you down dead. That's how important God sees worship. That's how God sees the importance of coming into his presence with the right frame of mind, with the right, you know, the priest had to wash his hands, wash his feet. He had to go to the, the, the table of showbread. He had to go to the menorah. There were several things he had to do. He would stand there and he would get his garments full of this, of this fragrance. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies. Every morning and every night, it was responsibility of the priest to make sure the coals were hot, to make sure the, 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 the smoke was going up. And that was his responsibility. It's our responsibility through our power of praise and worship to make sure that words of praise are constantly going up and clothing God in this tabernacle. Do I have a friend in the building? The angels rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy. And the Bible says the house was filled with the spoke of the voice of them that cried. We have the ability to bring the Shekinah glory to where we are. Hello. They were saying, I said, we have the ability to bring the Shekinah glory to where we are. Go with me as quickly as you can to Job 36. I really wasn't, but Keith, you inspired me. I really wasn't going to share this revelation, but I, those of you that have been with me, there's actually four friends. The Bible speaks of, of three in the second chapter. But some around the, where the 29th chapter, there's a new kid on the block. Look at somebody and say, a new kid on the block. And here's what this new kid on the block says. I have been taught to respect my elders. And I've been taught not to interfere or cut in or butt in. I've, I've been taught just to sit in silence and learn. But I'll be honest with you. What I've been hearing the past 28 chapters is full of baloney. And there is, no, there is no integrity, there's no maturity, there's no revelation to this. This is just a bunch of accusation and a bunch of denial and condemnation. And that's not how God rolls. So this young kid, this young friend, however, however old, if Job was 70, maybe he was 30, maybe he was 40, but he was younger than the three. He begins to talk about the goodness of God, the greatness of God, all that God does. And in Job 36 and 26, we're going to find a revelation. Behold, God is great. God, God is great all the time. God is good all the time. Behold, God is great, and we knoweth him not, and neither can the number of his years be searched out. For make a small the drops of water that pour down rain accordingly to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. Also, can any understand the spreading of the clouds or the noise of his tabernacle. Hey, look at Patrick just for a minute. This young man takes a science truth and he teaches us that the rain allows water to fall and when that water falls, things begin to grow. And there's a purpose and a need for rain. I always know when it's going to rain because the day before I've watered my garden. Jerry, can you relate? A weather garden, it starts raining. There you have it. But when you look at rain upon the face of the earth, you know that pineapples in Hawaii, they don't measure rain by the inches. They measure rain by the feet. And if that pineapple is not completely drenched and flooded, it will not produce. Salmon will not come back into the rivers from the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. They won't come back into the rivers unless a certain amount of rain has fallen. The crabs of... of, of uh, 
not Crisville, Maryland. Where were we? Chris, Chrisville, Chrisville, Maryland, where the crab came to the Chesapeake Bay. Millions and millions and millions. I mean, they had crab sandwiches. They had crab cakes. They had crab pancakes. They had uh, gumbo shrimp. They had fried shrimp. They had, and that's about it. <laughs> little Forrest Gump there for you. But if it doesn't rain a certain amount of rain, the, the crab won't come to the bay. The fish won't come to the river. The pineapples won't grow. So we understand that rain is very important. Would everybody agree? Okay, God, this young man compares rain with the noise of God's tabernacle. Now, through all, the entire word of God, the Bible tells us that we are, you ready? We are the tabernacle. We are the container. We're the glass that holds the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're either wood, clay, silver, or gold. We learned that two weeks ago. One, as we pursue redemption and purity, we mature in the kingdom and our countenance, our DNA changes, and we become a, a, a cup that God can use in his hand. The cup of gold is our, that's where we're headed. Pure gold, Job said. He's testing me. He's trying me. He's had to eat to the fire. When he's done, I'll come forth as pure gold. So here's what's happening. The Bible's asking, this guy's asking a question. Can we understand the spreading of clouds? Everybody say yes. yes. Can we understand the noise of God's tabernacle? Can we understand what should be coming through our, our vocal cords? What should be coming through our lungs? Okay, notice, if you will, how rain works. The sun, S-U-M, begins to draw vapors from lakes, streams, rivers. I don't know if you've been in the lake on a hot day, and it looks like a mirage. It looks, it looks like, like fog or like, like you're, looking through a, you're looking through a vapor. That is the sun pulling water up from bodies of water, ocean or lake, and when that, when that water is pulled up to a certain elevation, clouds begin to form. And those clouds are full of water. The clouds are filled, and then the clouds begin to lower. And when the clouds hit a certain elevation, all of a sudden, the rain begins to fall. And the rain begins to cause things to grow. The rain begins to cause things to, to, to spring up. The latter rain, the Bible says, is greater than the former rain. So now I would say that we all understand how rain works. If you don't learn anything else today, two minutes before 12, I'm almost done, you've learned today how rain works. Well, if we can understand how rain works, then can we understand the noise of his tabernacle? Any takers? I don't think we can. Okay, if you will, I'm going to take your hands, just the girls. Why don't you do this with me? Okay, now the guys. Now what you do is with me. <laughs> I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. How do we build a cloud? When I drop my hand, I want this sex to say glory. I want this sex to say hallelujah. I want this second to say the blood. Are you ready at the count of three? You want to practice? One, two, three. Glory. One, two, three. Hallelujah. One, two, three. A little weak over there, bloods. <laughs> count of three. Come on. Get it, get it way, get it way. I want them to hear this in the nursery. One of what's going on. One, two, three. Glory. We'll try it one more time together now. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Not bad. Considering Sunday morning, we're all hungry. But that declaration of praise just now, where'd it go? Carpet? Padded chair? Ceiling towel? No, it went up as vapors towards a sun of righteousness with healing in his wings. You want a miracle? Build a cloud. You want a miracle? A breakthrough, build a cloud. You need a blessing, build a cloud. You need a wife, build a cloud. You need a husband, build a cloud. You need finances, build a cloud. He can work through those who praise him, for our God inhabits praise. He takes up residence in praise. That's the sound of this tabernacle. It's not my opinion, it's not my thoughts, it's not my word, but that I would praise him and I would continually lift my hands up and give God glory and give him praise. What a great name, Cassia, to be an, an ingredient of that apothecary, to have your DNA to be a praise and a worshiper. Here's what Job is saying. 
You can kill every one of my sheep. You can kill every one of my kids. You can kill every one of my servants. I'm still going to praise him. Those skin worms destroy my body. I'm going to see God. I've got a promise. I've made a commitment. That's where I'm standing. I'm not backing off. What an attitude. Praise him when the bottom falls out of your boat. Praise him when you have a negative report about your kids. Praise him a negative report about your body. He can work our God and have its praise. The last, the last daughter, we're just going to call her Karen. And uh, how's that? Karen, just call her. Uh, since it's just, I, I feel sorry for her name. But her name in the Hebrew, are you ready for this? Means eyeliner. Eyeliner. When Rebecca, with the servant of Abraham, saw Isaac in a distance, she asked the servant, who is that? He said, that's your future husband. At the, up until the age of 13, kids played together. Boys and girls played together in the streets of Israel. When the girl turned 13, every time she went out in public, she had to cover her face like this. She had to cover her hair. And the only thing you could see was her eyes. And we know the eyes are the window to the soul. The only way that she could flirt. The only way that she could date. The only way that she could get someone to fall in love with her was right. <laughs> now, Barbara Eden learned all about the eyes, and she could blink and get what she wanted. But the girl, and I'll be careful with my terminology. I'm not using the word seduction, but I'm using the word to entice. There's just something about someone's eye. You can, you can read a person by their eyes. You can tell a person by their eyes. But here's what this eyeliner meant. It meant to circle and it meant to highlight the eyes. And I believe personally that that is talking about a vision. I think we all need a vision. I think we need a clear vision. Just, just for the fun of it, I wrote down just a couple of people that had seen a vision. Uh, Abraham saw the Lord in a vision. Moses saw the Lord in a vision. In 1 Samuel 8, it says there was no open vision, and God speaks to Samuel and calls him forward, and Samuel has a vision of God. Isaiah has a vision of God. Job has three visions of God. David speaks. David said that God spoke to him in a vision, and Revelation and Proverbs 29 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I think it is so, I think it is so easy to get so caught up in normal and so caught up in mundane, and so caught up in beige. Your favorite color should never be beige. It should be turquoise. It should be teal. It should be maroon. It should be scarlet, t purple, tangerine. I mean, but I think that, I think what happens is we settle into a groove. Speed limit in Georgia is 70 miles an hour. My friend has a 535 Beamer, 2014. The speedometer says 180. I don't know about that, but I, I know it does 140. I was coming back from, and he was with me, and it was okay. My dad had surgery, had heart surgery in, in Apaca, Florida. So we rush by myself. I'm in my little, little Volvo Turbo. Stay a couple days with dad, pray with him, everything goes well, headed home. Downtown Atlanta, downtown, the downtown part. Uh, six or eight crotch rockets passed me like I was standing still. My attitude was 12 o'clock at night, there's no traffic, let's see how fast they're going. I got on it, a little Mercedes Benz was right there with me, he saw me get on it, he got on it. We pulled up 130 miles an hour and looked over at this guy on this rocket and he was just freaking out that we had caught him. I mean, just, I mean, you could see the look on his face. And all of a sudden I realized, my God, I'm doing 130 miles an hour. <laughs> I shut it down. I mean, I put that nose on, I shut it down. And I come over the draw there into Marietta. And there was a major sting. There were about eight crotch rockets pulled over to the right. There were, high, there were state troopers. There were motorcycles. But because I had slowed down at the right, at the right time. Well, why did you say all that? I think that... Inside of every one of us, there's got to be a desire to wrestle a gator. 
There's got to be a desire to jump out of a plane. There's got to be a desire. It is my goal this year, October 28th or 29th, to teach Christine how to surf. I think what happens, I think we get settled into a groove 40 hours a week, raising our family, raising our kids, mowing the lawn, cleaning out the garage, and, and everything is so normal, so mundane, that we lose the open vision, that we lose the vision. Paul had a vision. Peter had a vision. John got caught up and saw the four horses of the apocalypse in a vision. I think if you don't have a vision, I think that you can pursue a vision. I think you can get a vision. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And, you know, as I get ready to turn 60, my, my, in, in the David side of our, of our family, the wives always live longer, but the, the dudes live to be 83, 85, so I'm probably good for another 23, 25 years. And so I ask myself, what do I want to do in the next 23 years that I haven't already done in the past 23 years? And if you're not careful, you become satisfied with, which, with what you've done, and there's nothing motivating you to do something greater or something different or something that can bless the kingdom and help the kingdom. You need to dream, you need to dream big. You need to, you need to dream big, aim small, dream big, and see what God brings into your life. What kind of vision? What kind of word? What kind of, what kind of ministry? You have got the presence of the dove in your life. You're a worshiper. You're a praiser. You've got a vision. You've got an open vision. You're seeing clearly what God is saying, what God is doing. It's now time for you that are comfortable to get uncomfortable and have a goal and a purpose. Say, how many people can I touch with the gospel of Jesus Christ before the rapture? We're going to talk real strong about the rapture in a week or two. Real strong. I believe we're close. I believe when you see what's going on in Syria, what's going on in Iraq, and, and you see the lethargic, uh, liturgical attitude of our nation, I believe, that, I believe that we are in the last of the last. And I believe that if you were born before 1972, I believe you'll probably be raptured out. You won't die of old age. Where's our 70? You were born, before, you were born after 1972. After 1972. Why do I say that? Three times God has touched the world. He touched the world with Moses. He touched the world with Jesus, and he touched the world with the, re the return of Christ, okay? When Moses was born, all the baby boys were being thrown into the river, killed. When Jesus was born, all the baby boys were stabbed with the spear, killed. In 1972, Roe versus Wade, all of a sudden, many male babies were being aborted and being killed. I believe there's something significant about 1972 to now. I believe that if you were born 1972 or this way, and I'm not saying that, that I'm going to die of old age. I want to go in the rapture too, and I want to be at Wendy's when he comes. Because, man, I'm, they're at Wendy's. I've seen some scary-looking people, and I just want to, when I feel that sky begin to burst open, I just want to grab a hold of center in each hand, get about 500 foot, and say, okay, do you repent or do I let go? I want to try to take... Who's with me? I'm going to try to take somebody with me. I want to make sure not just that me and my house, but we're able to take as many with us. But I believe time is short. I believe that we are winding. I believe we're getting close to midnight. And I believe he's getting ready to say, come up hither. And bless God, I ain't hanging around. When he calls my name, you can call me gone. Hello. You can call me out of, out of here. You love the Lord. Thank you for this season together. Thank you for the daughters of Job. Thank you for what their means relate to us Thank you that we can worship you. We can have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can have a vision. You always use broken people to promote your kingdom. You always use people that aren't all that great in ability-wise. There, there have been some, but mainly it's those that become available. Let, let you know today that we make ourselves available to you. We love you. We worship you. There's nothing we wouldn't do for you. We pray today for Dakota and her life struggling for breath. We pray for Robin Williams and their family. We pray for the, the family of Lauren Bacall and James Gardner, those that have gone to be with you. We, we pray for their family.